Are you serious? What does it mean to you to be serious about, say, your work? How much of an investment do you make in your vocation? Time. How about sweat? Or maybe uh, purchases? How about attending meetings, seminars, and continuing education? Okay, how about the investment you make on an in, in an enjoyable recreation or a hobby? Do you spend more money than you would like your spouse to know about on your hobby? Have you become a pseudo-expert in this diversion? Okay, now, how about following Christ? Do you study the Word and meditate on it? Do you spend time in intercessory prayer? Do you look for opportunities to spread the gospel? Hello, and welcome to God's Word for You for today from Liberty Lake Church. Today we have a special message by Pastor Jerry Larson. We will be looking at a couple of passages, so take out your Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and follow along with Jerry as he helps us to examine ourselves in the message titled, Are You a Disciple of Christ? Good morning. I hope you're ready for me today, okay? You've been very gracious the last few months without a pastor and inviting me periodically to share, which I've enjoyed very much. And now that you got a new guy coming next week, I might, you know, I might be out of a job here. So anyway, so I thought to myself, what's the last thing I could say to you by way of remembrance that would challenge you, okay? Now, this is exciting for me today. I've got a new family here that I've just become friends with. And my twin sister's visiting today. There she is. She's 41 minutes older than I am. I refer to her as my womb mate. And uh, so you can imagine the thoughts that go through my mind standing here and seeing her and thinking about all the years my mother cried and prayed, <laughs> wondering when the two of us were ever going to straighten out. And uh, just a lot of thoughts come to my mind. Uh, in all of this. You know, if I was to ask all of you this morning, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? How many of you would say yes? If I asked you, are you a disciple of Jesus, would you say? How would you describe a disciple of Jesus Christ? I read a little article, I'll just give you a little outline for a second. As you read through the Gospels, three characteristics of a disciple. They verbally identify themselves as belonging to Jesus Christ. Did you get that? They verbally identify themselves as belonging to Jesus Christ. We've got a lot of silent Christians, don't we? Okay? And I spend my whole life trying to help Christians get out of the holy huddle 
and get them out there running some plays, okay? So do you verbally identify yourself as a follower? Second, someone who is obedient to the Word of God. And third, someone who is bearing fruit in the work of Christ, character fruit, and conduct fruit. Did I just describe you? I hope I did. Okay, now, in the light of all of that, I've got another question for you. If you were to say to Jesus this morning, if you were to tell Jesus, I love you this morning, would he be impressed? Would he be impressed? Well, I'll give you a couple of thoughts to meditate on after a minute, and then I'll, maybe you can I'll answer you again in a minute with, a, with this little introductory thought. Now, this doesn't count on my time now until I get to where I want to go. All right? Now, after Jesus rose from the dead, before he ascended back to the Father, what was the last question Jesus ever asked on earth? Oh, we got some good students here. Yes. Some of you already have it, don't you? What did Jesus say to Peter? Do you love me? Then just sit and vegetate your way to glory. Got a lot of people doing that. Peter, do you love me three times? Why do you think he asked him three times? Yeah, because he denied him three times. Now he's restoring him. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. In other words, what Jesus was saying in John 21 is this. Peter, I called you into the people business. Get back at it. Remember, they went back fishing after the resurrection. Remember that? Peter said, don't lose sight of what I called you into, the people business. All right? So when we climb back into our self-centered world, Jesus takes it personal. And here's a statement that is one of the most powerful statements for me personally. And I'm saying this to every one of you sitting here. No one's here by accident this morning. Isn't that awesome? You're here by divine appointment. And God's got something to say to you today. You believe that? All right, then you listen up. And so when we realize that and we, and we come with a hard attitude of, God, you got something to say to me today, and you're going to hold me accountable for what I hear. Right? Great response from that. Okay. Anyway, this is an incredible statement. Nothing will fill our heart with a sense of worth and value more than knowing that I've made an eternal difference in someone's life. I've preached thousands of sermons. I've taught thousands of Bible studies. I've done hundreds of junior high, high school, and college 
camps and retreats. And as all of you know, I love teenagers. I could spend the rest of my life with teenagers. But what fills me with more joy than anything else is knowing that Jesus Christ has used me to make an eternal difference in people's lives. How you doing? Okay? I remember I was preaching and teaching my seminar. Most of you know over the last 22 years, I've been traveling all over at least the western part of the United States, Canada, and Hawaii, teaching evangelism seminars. Love what I do. Okay? When I was in Van, excuse me, when I was in Olympia, Washington, preaching and teaching my seminar, a man came up to me afterwards, <laughs> threw his arms around me, you know, looking at who are you, you know. Anyway, he's a dentist in Olympia. He said, you led me to Christ when I was 11 years old at a camp. And he said, I never dreamed I'd ever see you again. And here you are this morning preaching in my church. What do you think that did for me? <laughs> if I die today, I'm a dying happy man, okay? All right? Jesus called us into the people business. Say, Jerry, I got that. All right. Now, now we got to... <laughs> Now we've got to put some shoe leather on to all of that. So here's my last statement before I get into my passages. When I share his passion and partner in his mission, he knows I love him. Question? Do you love him? Do you share his passion? And are you partnering with him in his mission? That, that's why we're here, okay? That's why we're here. Now, here's what I want to do. All right, I'm an Egyptian mummy press for time. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to try to take two passages of Scripture. If I was to tell, say to you, what are the two passages of Scripture that have probably shaped more of my life in the last 22 years, here are the two passages of Scripture. I think I've shared this with you before, but now I'm just stirring up your pure minds by way of remembrance, and I just want this embedded in your mind, okay? Two passages of Scripture. All right, my first one I want to take you to is Matthew chapter 9. All right? I'm going to plug in in Matthew chapter 9. All right, listen up as I read. And then I'll make a few comments on this passage and then go to the second one. And then, like I said, if you get this, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to die happy. You get this. And if you start to flesh it out in your lifestyle, that's the bottom line. All right. The last few verses of, John, of Matthew 9. Jesus went all through the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now, 
Listen up. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because he saw them. He had compassion on them because they were harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out, thrust out workers into the harvest field. All right, now look up. When he saw the crowds, there's a lot of times we see crowds, don't we? He saw people helpless, hopeless, no direction for their life. You think there's a lot of them out there? I talk to them every week. And most of you, some of you have gotten to know me. If they're breathing, I'm talking to them. And that's why Ephesians chapter 2, remember when Paul said they were, with, they were without God and without hope. And there's nothing worse than being hopeless. But we've got a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? We've got a hope worth living for. We've got a hope worth dying for. And we got a hope we're suffering for. And I know a lot of suffering people in my life. Some of you are sitting there saying, I'm suffering right now. <laughs> That's all right. It's good for you. All right? God's working in your life. That's a good thing. But here's my point. If we get this, then I can go to the second one before we go home. When he saw the crowds... Helpless, hopeless, harassed. They didn't know what direction to go. And I have to take this passage. And then he said, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are so few. You know what I like about the, the verbiage there? Pray that the Lord will send out workers into the harvest field. It's like me going to the back door this morning. After the sermon, going to the back door. And as you walk out one by one, I'd grab you and say, get out there. Get out there. Got, tell me you got the picture. Okay, that's what he's saying. Get out there. Okay, don't sit, soak. We got too many people that sit, soak, sour, and stink. We got enough of them. No, I'm not, I didn't talk about, I'm not, you know, don't put, you know, don't put that in your notes, Okay. Uh, all right. But here, let me tell you how all of this became alive to me. Now, when you hear the word harvest, what comes to your mind? Anybody, what comes to your mind? Harvest. What? Everybody's working. Urgency. I worked on my uncle's farm for two summers in Montana as a teenager growing up. And uh, oh, we won't get into that. But anyway, never worked so hard in my life for nothing. But anyway, uh, just when harvest is ready, boy, everybody's working. The sense of urgency. And that's where I'm at in my life right now. 
I live with a sense of urgency. Now, if you were my age, you'd know why, right? I'm three months from 84. Now, I won't tell you the age of my twin sister. <laughs> she hates it when I say that. But she, I know she looks a lot younger than I do, so that's all right. Anyway, so I'm sniffing glory, okay? Man, I don't even buy green bananas anymore. So I'm out there. So I'm out there week after week saying, God, help me make a difference in somebody's life this week. You know, that's, and it's a great way to live. Trust me, it's a great way to live. All right? So, I've just... I was going to skip over this, but I can't. I've got to share with you how all this just became alive to me in, in my own heart and life. Because I didn't used to be the way I am now. But anyway, in Oregon, I lived in Oregon for 23 years, and then we moved back to Spokane little about 17 and a half years ago to, to be around my mom for whatever time she had left. And, and she went home to be with the Lord. and. My twin sister, her husband, went home to be with the Lord about eight years ago. And then my wife went home to be with the Lord two years ago this past week. So now here's the two of us. <laughs> we started life together. Here we are ending it together. When my mother died, she said, everything that's left over, after all the bills are paid, you two divide it. And after every dime was paid, there was $5.30 left over. My twin sister and I went to Wendy's for lunch and blew our whole inheritance. <laughs> so every time I drive by Wendy's, I smile. I smile. Of course, my three sons, you know what they say to me. We're gonna, when I die, we're going to be fortunate if we can go to Wendy's. So anyway, so anyway, this is with this whole concept of all this compassion and to see people without harass and helpless to see people they're sheep without a shepherd before i left oregon i met a brilliant eye surgeon and he asked me if i'd teach a bible study in his home which i did for a year he was known as one of the actually he had the testimony of being the the number one eye transplant, cornea transplant surgeon in the western part of the United States. Brilliant man. And I, uh, like I said, taught a Bible study in his home and just a precious, godly man. I just absolutely loved him. But anyway, he was an eye transplant surgeon. Keep that thought in mind. I was coming home from golfing before I moved back here, I drove by a big high school in Portland. Now, when's the last time you drove by a big high school when school was out and saw some of these strange creatures that, <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. You know what I'm saying. When you see how they're dressed and what they look like, and I still can't get over girls buying clothes with no holes in them. I still can't get over that. Now, there's, a, there's some, he's got some on right there, okay. <laughs> All right, anyway, this, I can't get over this, you guys. <laughs> Mine closes holes in them, okay. 
Anyway, I'm sitting there at a long red light. I'm sitting there at a long red light, and there's about 20 high school kids standing on this corner. And while they're standing there together, and then one of them walked away. Oops. One of them walked away from the other group. Never forget this as long as I live. The kid had a ring through his nose. And it hung all the way underneath his chin, through his nose, all the way underneath his chin. And he's eating potato chips like this. And this ring all the co- clear through underneath his nose. And I looked at that kid, and you know what I thought? Now, I can't tell you everything I thought. But, <laughs> but it hit me like a ton of bricks. Just another sheep without a shepherd. And I wonder if anyone will ever tell that kid that somebody loved him enough to go to the cross for him. And all of a sudden, my life was changed. Because you know what I prayed? Jesus, I need a divine eye transplant so that I can go in and out of every day of my life and I can start to see people like you do as sheep without a shepherd. And then I don't care about the holes in their pants. I don't even care about the tattoos. In fact, I'm thinking about getting one. And I don't even care about the color of the hair. I'm thinking about that too. But anyway, isn't it awesome to reorientate your whole life to seeing people like he does as sheep without a shepherd? Question for all of you. How many of you this morning need a divine eye transplant? Would you pray? (laughs) Boy, that's honest. Would you pray for that this morning? Would you pray before you leave here or just when you get lunch, when you get home? Jesus, help me to see the people I work with, I, people that live by me. Help me to see every, help me to see people like you do. Hope, helpless, hopeless, no direction for their life. They're sheep without a shepherd. Now help me to see them like you do. And then we'll be filled with compassion. That's what I want to characterize my life. There it is. One more passage. Now let me take you to, oh, I know we're going to get hung up with this, but that's all right. Now I want to take you to Luke chapter 5. Here's our last passage. So hang in there, okay? I love this. This is probably one of my favorite miracles in the Bible, and I'll tell you why. When we, and I, some of you might even remember me talking about this before. All right, let me read real quickly, and then I'll just kind of give you the, like I said, the highlights. Hopefully, the highlights. One day, is when Jesus was teaching, he was teaching in a little town called Capernaum. That was kind of a headquarters for him, right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. I've been there twice, so this is very vivid in my mind. He was teaching. Pharisees, teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. Okay, now look up a minute. 
Now let's just pretend, let's pretend all of us sitting here now are in a big living room of some giant, somebody's big home. All of us, you're picturing that? Okay, Jesus is teaching. Now it's hard for you to picture that with me up here. Jesus is teaching. Who's in the front row? The scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law sitting there with their little silky robes, sitting there with a bitter spirit trying to catch him in any flaw that he's going to say. Gonna, anything he's going to say that doesn't coincide with all of their traditions. Sitting there. And, and, and Luke is the only one that says this. I love this. And while they're sitting there, <coughs> the, <coughs> the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. The power of the Lord was present. The only time I've seen that phrase. In other words, this house was there was a, a spirit of electricity in this house. Don't you love that? How many of you have ever gone to a concert? Ever gone to a ball game? How many of you ever gone any place where you could cut the atmosphere with a knife? Anybody been to something like that? Gee, am I the only one? Okay, there we go. All right. Mine was 1977. I lived in Portland, Oregon. It was the only year Portland has won the NBA basketball championship. 1977, the most holy year in all of Portland's history. 1977. We won it all. And my closest friend had free tickets to all the playoff games. Oh, I love friends like that. But before the players even walked out on the floor, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. When's the last time you went to church and it was like that? Instead of, when do we get out of here? And when somebody talks to you this week and asks you how was church last Sunday, what are you going to say? Oh, just another Sunday. I ask people that. During the week, I'll meet people that I know that go to different churches. And I, how, was, how was your service last Sunday? You know, my, the usual response is, oh, just another Sunday. Well, I'm going to be offended if you tell them that. Okay? So at least tell them one thing I told you. Say, yes, Jerry, I will. Say that. Tell me. Don't lie to me. I'm going to ask you the next time I see you. All right. So this is just... An incredible thing. Power was present. All right, now, how do I summarize this? Okay. Here on the way I'm going to summarize this because we all know the passage so well. Some of the men had a paralyzed friend that they wanted to bring to Jesus. So when they put him on a mat, 
and they're carrying their friend to the house because of the crowd they couldn't get in. Now, they could have just backed off, went back home and said, well, we'll catch him the next time he blows through town. Not these four guys. Most of you, maybe all of you have at least seen a picture of this. In Bible times, homes had stairs on the outside of the house that led up to the flat roof because they'd go up there after the scorching heat of the day. They'd go up on their flat roof for some, you know, to get out of the heat and to relax in the evening. They'd go up on the roof. So here's these four guys. They couldn't get in the house. Okay, you know this part of the story. So they went and climbed up the stairs, got up on the roof, started to tearing their way through. You know, I've read a lot of stories. I got 45 pages on all of this, so I'm not going to give them to you. But anyway, a roof was anywhere from two or three inches thick to two feet. You know, they'd lay branches one way and then the other way and pack it with mud and whatever other made the roof. So anyway, here's four guys, their paralyzed friend. Now they're digging a hole in the roof. Now, what would you think right now? What if you thought, think, what would you think right this minute if you heard some noise up on the roof? You're sitting there like this, and then some dust started falling on your pretty little clothes. You saw a hole about this big around, then this big around, and then big enough to lower the guy through. And they lowered him right in front of Jesus. Now you've got that. And when, listen, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, he saw the faith of the four guys who lowered him down, and then he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders, they got really torqued on that. Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sin. Did Jesus forgive sin? Class? What's he saying to them? Do you, who do you think you are, God? <laughs> Since you've brought it up, yes, that's exactly who I am. I'm God. And why did he say your sins are forgiven before he healed him? Anybody, why did he say your sins are forgiven first? Because that's the greatest need in every life. Yes, Jerry. Got that? Okay, that's the greatest need in every life. You know, I've prayed for I've got friends that I've been praying for. I've got a pastor friend over in Tacoma area, I mean, excuse me, Seattle area. I'm going to go over there next month and preach in this church. His only son went down to go to college. He's in an accident the first week he's in college. First week in college, his only son was in a car accident. And for 15 years now, he just lays at home. Uh, and his dad feeds him through a tube in his stomach. And his precious godly wife, Mary, a year or so ago, 
died of brain cancer and left him alone with that boy. And I stay with him when I go over there next month. I can hardly walk in that room and see that boy and not think of what if that was one of mine. And I have prayed for them every day for 15 years. Forgiveness. That's what we talk about first. That is the greatest need in your life. We need to understand that and pick that out. Okay? Who do you think you are? You know, to conf- only God can forgive sin. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And, oh, I just love this. you you got to love this part of it, you know. But I, so Jesus, you know, who do you think you are? Well, what is it, e- is it easier to say to a man, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, rise, take up your bed and walk? What's the easiest thing to say? Well, your sins are forgiven because you can't see that. But to prove to you I've got the authority to forgive sin, pick up your mat and walk. And then it says they were all amazed. They were all amazed. And that's why when I look at this passage, I'm not going to finish it. Now, here's what I want you to go home with. I want you to go home with two things. We need a divine eye transplant. I want to see people like Jesus does, a sheep without a shepherd, and it'll change my whole attitude, no matter what they look like and how deep they've sunk. But this passage, I come with three words that I want you to tattoo on your chest. The first word is love. And what I mean by that is this paralyzed man was wealthy. You know why he was wealthy? Because he had four friends that loved him enough to pay any price to get into Jesus. Can you name me people in your life that you'll pay any price to help them come to Jesus? I got people like that in my life. We've got two half-sisters, a family I never knew. My dad left us and we were four years old. My mom raised us. We got two half-sisters. We live in Maryland. You know how far Maryland is from here? Three kids living ungodly lives. But I pray for them, and I call, and I lower them into the presence of Jesus and pray for them like I do other people. And the thing that hit me about this, I've done two things with this. First of all, on this word love, that who are the people in my life, and I've got plenty of them, that I love enough I'll pay any price to see them come to Jesus. Who are those people in your life? And are you lowering them into the presence of Jesus in prayer every day? Now, some of them I do every day. Those are the priority people. 
every day for some, once a week for some, once a month for some, the others whenever I think about them. Don't look at me like that. You've got people like that too, okay? But both the people that I lower down every day into the presence of Jesus and Lord, use me in their life. Help me to help them come to, come to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the love that has gripped my life. And I'm going to do anything humanly possible in prayer and any other way I can to help them come to Jesus. Do you love anybody like that? Who are you lowering into the presence of Jesus every day? Second, not in the word love, I love the word conviction. Conviction means these four men knew Jesus was his only hope. What What are Satan's two greatest lies? Good people go to heaven, and there's a lot of ways to get there. That's a lie. Forgiven people go to heaven. There's only one way to get there, and his name is Jesus. And that better be our conviction. Somebody once said a lot, the problem with most teenagers today, they believe a lot of things, but they don't have any conviction. Now, there's a lot of adults like that, too. And I ask all of you, are you men and women of conviction? Do you honestly believe that, that the only thing, you know, their only hope is Jesus? That's why one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, Acts 4.12. You all know that, don't you? All of you could stand right now and quote that to me. I know you could. Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I didn't have to go to two seminaries to understand that verse. Neither is there salvation in any other. That's my conviction. Is that yours? Love people? Conviction there, Jesus is their only hope. And then I want to be, I want to have the faith that these other four men had when they brought him to Jesus. Oh, wow. And three things characterize their faith. They were persistent. Duh, weren't they? I prayed for my dad for 53 and a half years that he'd come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I led him to Christ over the telephone in Maryland four months before he died. And then I went back and did his memorial service. Would you say I was persistent? You got people you're praying for? Don't give up on them. Were these four men creative? (laughs) Yeah, they sure were. You know? And then another thing about their faith, it was sacrificial. 
When they dug that hole in the roof and lowered that guy down, don't you think somebody in the house was looking up and saying, who's going to pay for that? Now, I used to pastor churches. I don't anymore. Somebody asked me if I'd pastor another church. I don't know of anybody looking for an 84-year-old pastor. If you know one, give my name, I guess. But anyway, when you, <laughs> when you look at all of this, sacrificially, you know, every church I've ever been in, there's at least one guy that asks the question every day, who's going to pay for this? We need new chairs. Who's going to pay for this? We're going to do this. Who's going to pay for this? Okay. They'll pay any price. Fix the stupid roof. But man, their paralyzed friend got healed, didn't he? So I want my faith to be persistent. I want it to be creative, depending on the people that I come in contact with. And I want it to be sacrificial. And I'll pay any price. Most of you are too young to know about Francis and Edith Schaefer, that famous couple that had the retreat center in Switzerland. And God only knows how many thousands of runaway college and high school kids that fled the country and ended up at their retreat center in Switzerland and got their lives straightened out with Jesus. And people used to ask them, how can you let these kids come and live in your retreat, your beautiful retreat center? They barf on your floor. They burn holes in the, with cigarettes in your furniture. How can you allow this? Because they mean more than my house means to me or my retreat center. What a powerful thing. Love, conviction, and faith. That's what characterized their life. How about us? Now, I only didn't hardly go over this morning. This is a miracle today. You've witnessed it. Now, question, class. What are you going to do with this? How are you going to flesh this out? Well, first of all, what are you going to do? You're going to get a divine eye transplant. You're going to change your life this week. When you look at even the miserable people in your life, <laughs> you know, and God helped me to see them like you do. They're sheep without a shepherd. Give me the conviction that you're their only hope. Now give me the faith on how I can best reach out to them. Help me to internalize all of that. And this is my life. This is what I've been doing, well, 64 years now. Can you believe that? Isn't it amazing? I can stand here today, tell you where I was standing on the middle of a college campus at Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma, Washington, standing in the middle of a college campus all by myself, and asking Christ to forgive me and to be my Savior. 64 years ago, it transformed my life, and I've never been the same. So, pray for me, will you? As I keep moving out and doing my weekly stuff and 
preaching where God opens doors and teaching. I'll be in Montana preaching this week. Okay? All right. Anybody glad you came this morning? Okay, I hope I didn't put you to sleep. If I did, I hope it was a good sleep. Okay. All right, let's pray and I'll send you on out there into a world that's in desperate need of a Savior. And with your new eye transplant, you're going to see your whole world through different eyes this week. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for everyone that's here. I pray that you've used me this morning. And these passages of Scripture, I pray, will never be the same to us. Help us to see people as sheep without a shepherd. No hope. Torn. No direction for their life. And they desperately need a Savior. Help us to lower people into your presence and to pray that you'll use us to touch their lives. And Father, if there's one person here this morning who has never personally put their faith and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that even before they go to bed tonight, in simple faith, that they'll ask Christ to forgive their sin and to be their Savior. I pray that they will do that and find the joy and the peace of knowing you. Send us out of here rejoicing in what we've heard to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. And one point that I've left out, and I'll add it right now, and this is my last thing, because after, when I was studying this passage, you know how a new thought comes to your mind? Do I pray for people every day? Lower them into the presence of Jesus. God help me to reach them. Do I do that? Do you do that? Will you be doing more of that? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Do you know what I added to my prayer one day? It's been awesome. Why don't I ask four people that know me and love me to lower me into the presence of Jesus every day and ask Jesus to powerfully use my life. And I've done that. And do you know, do you realize why God's doing in my life what he's doing? And the people that I've helped come to Christ in the last three weeks went to the doctor's office and got a shot. She never realized who she was given a shot to. And before we left the office, we were praying together and she trusted Christ as her Savior. Pretty awesome, isn't it? You know, you never know. That's my whole life. So get out there and get after it. And then 
recruit, starting at least with one person. Now, little my little precious twin sister down here. She loves me. <laughs> I know I'm taking that by faith. She, <laughs> she loves me and prays for me every day that God will touch somebody's life through me. Isn't that awesome? Okay, pray for each other like that and recruit some people to pray for you like that. Okay? All right. Lord, fill my mouth with worthwhile stuff and nudge me when I've said enough. I've said enough. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless you. Oh, we, oh, I'm sorry. We got another song. Sorry. Yeah, Lord bless you too. Okay. Thank you for listening to today's message from Liberty Lake Church in Liberty Lake, Washington. Our pastor, our elders, and our prayer watch team are available to pray with you or to answer any questions you may have. Contact us through www.LibertyLakeChurch.com or follow us on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and welcome any comments you may have. As always, we appreciate your prayer support. Join us next week on God's Word for You for Today for another message from Liberty Lake Church. Thank you again, and God bless.